Welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. This two-edged sword of law and gospel recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Misery Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, May 26th, we're studying Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. St. Luke continues to record how the gospel spread after the martyrdom of Stephen, turning our attention to the way the Lord made people Christians in Antioch. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Harrison Goodman. Pastor Goodman serves as the content executive for the Lutheran youth organization, Higher Things. Pastor Goodman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me. So, Pastor Goodman, let's talk a little context. We're in a what seems to me a pretty transitional part of the book of Acts. Kind of uh, the movement of the gospel has, has gone so far and it continues to move, but it seems like Luke is, is doing some transition work here before he really gets to the narrative that's going to focus us on St. Paul and his missionary activity. What's the context we need to know as we look at this part of Acts chapter 11 today? All right. So, um, you mentioned before, too, that, that we're coming out of Peter's vision and uh, starting to actually sort of see where the rubber is starting to hit the road. Uh, what's going to, to be real apparent here in this text and, and started to, to be foreshadowed in the beginning of the chapter of 11 is uh, that now we're, we're actually starting to see uh, ministry being done directly to and for Gentiles who are uh, apart from a, a background in Judaism. Why is this such a significant shift uh, particularly for those who are of the Jewish background. We, we've talked a little bit about this in previous episodes. It's one of those things that that I think, and, and some of the guests have agreed with me, that it's something we don't fully appreciate as much. Why is this such a, a big deal that suddenly Gentiles are being included? This is a big deal for a, a number of reasons. I think probably the first and most important is simply that the Lord wants them saved. Um, and, and so that's a real good reason just to focus right there, that uh, this was never supposed to be a, a faith, a hope, a salvation that was sort of um, held onto by a select few, but everything that the Lord did was always uh, done with the idea that the will, the desire, that that all come to a, a right and saving faith. Um, simply because the Lord wants none lost. He has no desire in the death of even the wicked, but that they would turn from their ways and be saved. Um, and this was true even in the Old Testament. However, uh, what we get to start to see now is the way that it's it's going to start to, to come into contact because in the Old Testament, uh, it wasn't that God only wanted a, a certain um, bloodline to be saved, but rather uh, when you came to faith, you became part of Israel. Um, now what we're getting to start to see is a church that is being sent to all nations. And so there's a number of, of things that we can kind of talk about today. Um, not only that, that, that God would desire that all come to a knowledge of the truth in Christ who has risen from the dead, but also uh, just real basic discussions like, do you need to become essentially Jewish to really appreciate Christianity. Um, can Christianity uh, endure outside worldviews, or is it such a, a closed loop of beliefs that the only people who would actually hang on to it are the ones who would never actually either wanted to or bothered to experience anything from the outside world? Uh, both of these are kind of things that uh, go on today, uh, one almost exclusively in the church and one sort of at the 
our, our fears at large. Uh, the idea that uh, we, we all, especially today, who, who have sort of come to faith, the vast majority were done right. And, and thanks be to God. And by done right, I mean, they're parents raised them in the faith. They were baptized at a very young age and they were taught the way that they ought to have been taught. And God be praised, it, it's it's sticking. Um, but but we sort of, the idea of, of, of a fuller appreciation, a fuller uh, view of, of what's done, uh, what's, what's given in the scriptures, a lot of us sort of carry the idea that if, if you have a, a better background in, in Judaism, um, it makes you a better Christian rather than simply saying the background in the Old Testament, it, it, it points to Christ. And so you will have more appreciation for Christ. Well, let's go ahead and, and look at the text. We'll read the text and then we'll have some of those conversations come out of that. So we're in Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to, re to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. That's our text for today. That's Acts 11, verses 19 to 30. Pastor Goodman, let's start with a little bit of, of geography. We're talking about Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. Where are we in the world? Uh, we are still in the Middle East. So, um, Paul, uh, help me out with this. I'm actually, I'm bad at geography, so I'm going to ask you to answer <laughs> that. Uh, I, I, I get lost very, very easily. Um, people make That's all right. about my heritage that, that uh, my, my people are just sort of prone to getting lost. So, the, the Lutheran Study Bible has this handy map here on, on page 1857, which is just the opposite page or the it's on the back side of the page that I was just reading from and and it shows me because I'm not always the best with my my geography of this part of the world either that in the previous text for example Peter had been in Joppa and then back in Jerusalem and all of that is within you know 30 miles of each other but Cyprus, Antioch, the places that are mentioned in this text, Phoenicia, that's going to, you know, Phoenicia is going to be farther north along the Mediterranean coast. Cyprus is an island in the, the Mediterranean Sea. And Antioch is going to be pretty far north. And, and I don't know, I can, I can figure out the scale that quickly. But over 100 miles for sure, maybe close to 200 miles north of Jerusalem. So we're we're talking a bit farther away than we have been in other parts of the book of Acts. Okay. So that's going to definitely then color what it is to say the Hellenists, right? 
I think so. I think so. So tell us a little bit about the the Hellenists. So these these would be then um, the, the the Jews born outside of Palestine. These would be a, a people with sort of a. a a pagan worldview. Um, the, these are the, the people then who share the philosophy of the Greeks, uh, either the religion or um, a, at least sort of the thought processes of that part of the world. Um, and so these are, are, are going to be a people who don't think like typical Jews think. Hmm. So what what do they what do they think? Well, what do let's take both of those. What do typical Jews think like, and what do the Hellenists think? So um, we we certainly um, have a more philosophical approach inside of the Hellenists. Um, so when when we start to, to deal with sort of the, the ancient philosophers, uh, this is this is that sort of background. Um, so ideas uh, such, such as um, even the, the the distinction between mind, body, and soul. These three is more of a Greek where the the Jews would sort of just have a body body and spirit, um, you, you, you get uh, in, into a, a lot more of a, a foundational view as far as you know, substance and accidents are, are common. Uh, as far as starting to, to minister then to uh, the people in this background, you're, you're going to start to see uh, Paul later as he, he begins this, uh, begin to actually reason with them a, a lot more. Um, it, it's, it's one of those fun places where you actually get to see uh, Christianity sort of butt up into something that is different and, and not only endure but thrive and and it's actually kind of a, a it, it's a wonderful thing um because here we we actually get to sort of have an answer to the idea that christianity only holds up if you don't think about it according to the rest of the world that that christianity only sort of uh answers the questions of the people who know which questions to ask. And so anybody with sort of a, a foreign view or, or a different thought process will be turned off because it's circular reasoning. Here, it's actually encountering people who reason very deeply um, and very differently. And it's it's actually finding some traction. You know, what's interesting about this particular text in verse 20, there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, who spoke to the Hellenists, as the ESV translates it. There is there is some textual evidence that instead of reading Hellenists, we should read straight up Greeks, mm -hmm. that it, it's not just because Hellenists, and we've, we've talked a little bit about Hellenists in the past, that, and you, you laid them out already, Jews who were not born in Jerusalem, that they, they've taken on more of the the Greek culture, but they're still Jews. Whereas there's, and, and if you look in English translations, you'll, you'll see plenty that instead of translating here, Hellenists, they'll translate straight up Greeks, making this an even bigger shift than what happened, say with Cornelius, who, who has that background, at least with some connection with the synagogue. But here we're going straight to the Greeks straight up. These are Gentiles full stop. Hmm. And um, again, it's, it's, it's a chance to, to really just find a, a lot of peace in, in the idea that you can think about this differently, but Christ is still risen from the dead. If these are, are then uh, rightly understood to be Greeks, uh, here they have no real background as far as uh, not only the, the, the concept of, of our Lord, but uh, the, the processes by which the, his people would, would think, act, and behave. Um, it, it does make this just an incredibly radical shift. Um, because it, it, it's a, an approach then that's going to be rooted in something different uh, than, well, all of the world that, that really would expect. Um, and, and this is a shift uh, even inside of um, the, dif this, the difference between the New and the Old Testament that um, 
it's it's so common to sort of even today recognize the the god of power um and so it, to the the greeks you 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 go to their their pantheon and th theirs are are powerful gods that you just you don't want to anger you do want to please because they'll do things for you they they exercise their existence by doing cool stuff uh sending down lightning you know starting fires even just you know little things like making people fall in love and and in the old testament too um so many people sort of approach it with the idea that this is when god did real miracles that that those kind of stopped with uh with jesus and we'll, we'll see in the book of acts the disciples do a number of miracles but we still sort of have in our our hearts and minds you know big boats and parted seas and tornadoes of fire and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, we, we have a God who, who introduces himself through power and then comes to preach mercy through a temple system that, that is set up in sacrifice that would point to a fulfillment in Christ who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That we, we would sort of have a, a initial inter, uh, initial introduction to God through simply that he is powerful and then coming to terms with the fact that he is powerful and could squash us at any given point in time should he so please then we are introduced to the fact that he wants to be merciful even to sinners he does not condone sin in fact he despises it but he sets up a system that blood would make atonement for sin which again foreshadows Christ who would shed his blood on the cross for for you for me for all uh, not just for for some um here we we actually then have a, a religion that actually gets to, to start to confront people with first and foremost mercy uh that that they're introduced to mercy through this cross of christ that when paul will start to preach uh it, it actually will still follow that the same pattern of sound doctrine that uh we, we heard from peter as he addressed uh the those uh, those Jews who would gather for Pentecost, um, and uh, we also still uh, find it is is Christ who is crucified for sinners. That is now the introduction that uh, the light of the glory of God would be made manifest in the face of Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, it, it's it's that old Romans passage that that we sort of know that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Uh, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That we actually get to see the power of God working, not simply in, in sort of uh, affecting creation by miracle, but in working of mercy and in the gospel, that is uh, Christ who was crucified for sinners to produce a righteousness that actually saves. There, there's a number of threads that I think we can pick up from what you just said, Pastor Goodman. And I'm gonna try to, to tie some of it with something you said earlier it, uh, you, we were talking about what what of judaism do you need to be to be christian and of course that that's maybe a loaded phrase but though so the, i'm going to try to to tie some of the things you said together about you know as you were talking about the difference between the power and the mercy and the connection between those two the way you were talking and, and with the the temple system that as the lord gave it in the the old testament that that would not have necessarily been known to people who are straight up Gentiles, straight up Greeks. They might not have had any connection or knowledge of what the Lord gave his people Israel to do with the temple in Jerusalem. With, with that in mind, then, when, when you've got someone from a Gentile background who's going to be, he's going to have the gospel proclaimed to him. What from the Old Testament does he need or how does that play into that? 
Right. Um, and this is something that uh, they're, they're going to fight about later. Like even simply, do you need to be circumcised before you can be baptized? Um, and uh, so here, I, I think you can approach this of the law or of the gospel. And um, that, that that's not to say that one is bad and one is good, but you can sort of subject yourself to more law, um, but recognizing that that law points to Christ. If you believe that circumcision is a replacement for baptism or uh, parallel to baptism and, and uh, not simply the forerunner of baptism, you're going to approach it very differently. Um, and so, for example, then, um, if you are introduced uh, to the depth of the New Testament, you get to start to learn more about it. Uh, so that when, for example, the Baptist would say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, if you are familiar with the temple system, you can understand exactly what that means. Whereas if you are uh, foreign to this, it, it, it's, it's not going to make as much sense. You can recognize that there's somebody who will take away the sins of the world, but that the sacrifice might not be made apparent. Um, and so rather than simply diving into how many laws can you heap upon yourself from the ceremonial laws which have passed away being fulfilled in Christ, uh, instead we actually get to start to look at the typology. We get to look at, at, at the gospel that is, is given there, that the things that all of, uh, all of scripture attest to, namely that uh, Christ is Lord. And so uh, it's not strictly necessary, um, but it, it, it's better. Uh, and, and so the Old Testament, it, it's not that it, it's optional. It, it's not that it's not uh, useful or, or helpful, but it's that the Old Testament points to Jesus. And so we want to point to Jesus. The idea that you sort of have to learn an entire religion that was looking forward to Jesus so that you might better appreciate the Jesus who has come. Um, rather than simply saying, here is Christ our Lord, and look how they have waited for him. Look at how he has spoken to his people. Look at all of his promises that we are seeing made manifest among us today. Those are our different approaches. And, and so here you get to start to see that all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful, for example, when it comes to engaging with the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament and, and sort of a background here. It's, it's very helpful to have a better understanding of the Old Testament. And in fact, I would say you're going to miss an awful lot of the New Testament and the details if you don't bother to go into the Old Testament. But the idea that you need to sort of first subject yourself to something that has already been fulfilled so that you can better appreciate the thing that has been fulfilled, I think you're skipping over Christ. And in doing so, it, it gets very, very dangerously close to trying to find the salvation, uh, the, the power of God for salvation in something other than Jesus Christ. I, mean, I think there's a helpful distinction perhaps that we can make that that this matter of subjecting yourself to the Old Testament law, that's one thing. And then the other thing that we're that we're saying is necessary, that's the preaching of Christ from the Old Testament. The the Old Testament rightly understood is not subjecting yourself to a law to earn righteousness from God. But the Old Testament properly understood, which Jesus taught his disciples this at the end of the Luke's gospel, is to understand that everything there is proclaiming who he is, what he's, what he, uh, we would say, has done now in his death, his resurrection. And we, we want to make sure that we don't confuse those two things. One, one of those things is an entirely different religion. If you think you're going to use the Old Testament to earn righteousness from God, then you're not actually really using the Old Testament correctly. That's an entirely different thing than what the Old Testament actually is. Absolutely. And it, it's still so rooted in old Adam to try and find God and, and please God by works of the law. And, and it's going to be the thing that we keep butting up against in uh, the religions of the world too. When we when we meet either the Hellenists or the Greeks, uh, when we meet these foreign worldviews, understand that th this is the only other real religion out there. There is the religion of the gospel that is Christ crucified for sinners and raised from the dead. 
And there is the religion of the law that is rooted in a lot of different flavors and, and dialects and, and um, characters, but it really ultimately results into do something, get something. And, and that's a different religion. Um, it's, it's better than to dive into the Old Testament and look for Melchizedek as a forerunner to Christ. Look at the prophet Isaiah and, and see that, that the things that he is talking about are being uh, fulfilled by God for you. Um, and, and that means then that, that as um, these, uh, these people are, are coming to contact with the scriptures, they're hearing uh, Jesus all the way through. Um, and that's, I, I think, a wonderful thing that you're seeing the church in the book of Acts really start to wrestle with just exactly how that's practiced, as well as what that means. Uh, because there are those things then that have been added on, that, 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 that the fulfillments of um, so many of the things in the Old Testament. We have baptism, we have the Lord's Supper. Uh, we even have, from a very, very early date, uh, the liturgy starting to come into practice. Um, and uh, we also have sort of the, the fading away then of those things which, which have been fulfilled, the keeping of uh, the ceremonies, the, the ideas of, of the old festivals, um, and, and whether or not things like circumcision then, for example, uh, are, are necessary versus what they have been pointing to the whole time. I think that connecting this with what we just read in the previous part of Acts 11 is is helpful. And our previous guest, Pastor uh, Philip Hoppe, pointed out that as Peter recounts what happened in his vision and then his subsequent uh, visit to Cornelius's house, that Peter, in, in the way he talks in verse 14 of this of Acts chapter 11, says that the angel told to Cornelius that Peter would come to declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And the, the point that we, we drew out yesterday was that you know this message by which Cornelius and his household would be saved wasn't the keeping of the cleanliness laws or the, the eating of only clean foods and staying away from unclean foods. The message by which Cornelius and his household were saved was the preaching of Christ crucified, which is what Peter went and proclaimed. And now we're seeing the parallel to that happen right after it here in Antioch. That is, as Luke records it here, what did they go preaching to these Hellenists or to these Greeks? It was preaching the Lord Jesus. They, they went and preached the same thing that Peter had preached in Cornelius' house now is being preached in Antioch, and that's the message that saves. Right, um, and, and here actually a, 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 a Hellenist, a Greek distinction might be useful um, because uh, again, we sort of have this, this sort of mind, body, and spirit existing. Um, and so there is a salvation by Jesus or is there's a salvation by something else. Um, and so as we start to interact with uh, the, the outside world and the philosophers inside of it, um, you cannot be saved by philosophy. You cannot reason your way unto salvation any more than you can do good works all the way up to salvation. It, it's, it's only going to be by the gospel, by, by mercy. A righteousness is not manifested uh, by power, by, by reason, but, well, it, it is by faith in Christ. Um, and so when, when we start to, to deal with the people who are, are still struggling, even if it is under a different means, you're, you're absolutely right that the answer is still going to be the same. It's Christ who was crucified for sinners. And here we actually have something that, that holds up because whether or, or not you sort of carry all of the, the background and understanding of the Old Testament, the, the sins of this world are, are very, very apparent. And then the mercy that is proclaimed for the, the care of souls is, is very, very important. Uh, when we, we have sort of the idea that uh, 
we, we have a God who would, would actually seek the lost, that, that he, would, he would reach out and uh, not only sort of call us to, to come to him, but actually gather us in himself. We have a God then who's going to go out into uh, all nations through, through all peoples and deal with all of their sins, both those who, who want to be saved by the works of the law through um, ceremonial acts and those who, who want to be saved simply sort of by the, the, the idea of higher reason, which again is, a, is very much a today problem. I, that that phrase in verse 20, preaching the Lord Jesus, is one of those moments where I wish that St. Luke would have recorded some of the sermon for us. I mean, we, we've gotten, you know, Peter's sermons along the way and Stephen preached in, in Acts chapter 7. And I, I wish that, that he had recorded here what this preaching of the Lord Jesus looked like in this context, par- partly because of the, the way, you know, some of the questions we're asking about the use of the Old Testament. But I think given what we've read already in the book of Acts, that we, we have an idea of what was preached. They used the scriptures because they understood that the scriptures, that, and when I say scriptures, I mean what we call the Old, the Testament. Old Testament. Yeah, they used them, no doubt, because they understood that those scriptures were about Jesus. And then, in, I mean, they preached the fulfillment of that. Everything that Peter's been preaching all along, that this Jesus, you crucified, God raised him from the dead, repent and be baptized. That, that you know, preaching the Lord Jesus is the summary of everything we've read in the sermons and acts all along and what we'll continue to read in sermons coming up. And, and really, I mean, it's a summary of all of the teaching of all of the prophets throughout all of the Old Testament. Uh, the, the idea that we sort of have these these two scriptures, it, it's 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 sort of self-imposed by us who stand on this side of things. Um, there is simply the scriptures that attest to Jesus. And so there, there are those that were written before he was incarnate, and those that were um, written down uh, after the, the faith became in to, to be uh, put in practice. But in all of it, there, you're right. There is only one Jesus, and so I, I definitely wish that I could read the sermon too, just so I could steal it. Uh, <laughs> but at, at the same time, um, what what you see is is probably among sort of the same things that have been preached. Uh, even go back to you know the, the prophets inside of uh, the, the Old Testament who would sort of uh, call out against false gods, against false worship inside of the temple and recognize why they're doing that. That That's not simply you're not following the rules, but well, when the, the temple is uh, it, it is corrupted, when, when there are sacrifices to, to false gods, there are sacrifices to gods that are not merciful. It, it's, it's stopping um, mercy from being handed out to the people. And it's also a, a stopping of, of a place to teach about mercy because, well, if you actually have come to believe that you're killing a bird uh, makes God happy, then um, you're going to have a real hard time understanding who he is and talking about him to other people. And so the, the more corrupt the temple becomes, either by um, introduction of pagan worship or simply by the the, the pharisaical uh, frustrations that you saw in an intertestamental period and in the time of Jesus Christ, it, it's pointing away from the only sermon that ever really has been preached, that the Son of God will be slain for sinners and rise again. And that is the sermon that continues to be preached in the book of Acts, especially here in Antioch in Acts chapter 11. We're going to pick up more of this on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking with Pastor Harrison Goodman this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, May 26th. We're studying Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30 with Pastor Harrison Goodman. He is the content executive for the Lutheran youth organization, Higher Things. Pastor Goodman, prior to the break, we were talking about the spread of the gospel to Antioch. They were speaking there to Hellenists, to Greeks. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. And as we've seen all along through the book of Acts, the Lord has been working through his word. He has done the work through his word. Verse 21 says that the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number believed. They turned to the Lord. It gets back to Jerusalem, and here comes Barnabas again. Tell us a little bit about Barnabas and what happens through Barnabas in this text. So Barnabas is sent to to kind of check up on on what's going uh, to going on in Antioch. Uh, this is something that at least in practice is is very new, even if it's like I said, still done throughout the Old Testament as people sort of were, were uh, adopted into Israel, became Israelites through faith, um, and, and then picked up all of the, um, the, the the ceremonial laws that that would point to Jesus. Here we have people hopping right into uh, Jesus and. And, and thanks be to God, people are believing, people are being baptized. And so Barnabas uh, being uh, sort of, uh, well, the right-hand man uh, in a lot of ways uh, to, to what's going on is, is sent to, to go and see what is going on. Um, and uh, I think in a big way, verse 23 becomes uh, apparent as to, to what it was that, that is going on, and 24, uh, that uh, Barnabas, uh, who is a, a good man and, and full of the Holy Spirit and, and uh, faith, exhorts the people to remain faithful. So, so he's going to see if what's going on is is above board and and to to um to to offer praise and thanksgiving for it to to exhort them to continue uh and it's it's an important thing to to note that it's um to continue to be faithful um to remain faithful in other words there was a genuine right faithfulness and steadfast purpose already um that uh Again, as, as we have something new happening, uh, it, it's it's important to know that this is this is the right way to do things. Is, is it really all right that this person who is raised completely apart from Israel can simply be baptized in right faith? Barnabas is is pleased with what's happening here. Um, that uh, that the, the people who who are believing are turning to the Lord, and you start to see uh, that this congregation uh, forming is something that that is to be uh, commended. Um, and it's it's an important thing, uh, even in our day, where. I, I think, at least inwardly, we all sort of, uh, inside of our synod, there, there is hopefully a dying struggle, but but a passing struggle nonetheless, uh, of the idea of a, a stress on either witness or doctrine. Um, that that it's sort of pick one, because it certainly can't be both. Like, if, if you really, really, really care about witness, uh, you, you, you become lax on your doctrine. Or if you really, really, really become uh, steadfast in your doctrine, it, it's, it's going to be a stumbling block to people. And, and that's almost been worn as a badge of honor. Like, how many people can I offend in the name of Jesus? Uh, because that will show how faithful I am. But that Barnabas is is commending what is happening here. It shows that witness can be done faithfully, that, that there is um, a, 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 a genuine witness to people who are completely foreign to the worldview. Uh, and they are, are learning something from the ground up. 
and what they are learning is the right faith. And it can also show that witness can be done faithfully, that uh, to, to hold this right faith, it, it's not a hindrance to, to witness. It, it's, it's in fact actually something that is very prone to, to sharing the good news with our neighbors. Um, Barnabas sort of goes in and, and he takes a look around and he says, the things that are happening here are to be commended. That, that means that the catechization is, is being done properly. That, that means that the practices uh, that, that he's witnessing inside of the sanctuary, they are meat, right, and salutary. And, and that means there's no funny stuff going on. There, nobody's sneaking them in the back door, patting numbers and saying, look how great the Lord is. Uh, nobody's foregone the faith to impress people who wouldn't understand it anyway. And nobody's being so staunch inside of what's going on that nobody could possibly hear the word of the Lord for all of the roadblocks set in the way. Uh, it, it's simply the preaching of Christ crucified and the Holy Spirit takes care of the rest, calling, gathering, enlightening, sanctifying, and keeping those in the one true faith. It's it's a, a wonderful thing. Uh, and it's it's important that the church at large not only recognize this, but but continue to support it. If, if we all sort of become our own little individual congregations with our own individual metrics and our own practices and our own doctrines and our own beliefs, then then sooner or later, it, it, it not only sort of becomes hard for us to walk together as a, a, a church, but it, it also becomes very, very easy for something small small that that is just a little bit off center to push us further and further and further away from the truth so that if somebody were to come in and simply ask the basics of the question that the creedal faith you know it, it, then sooner or later it gets it's a, a lot harder to answer truthfully um you, you'll see this uh later even just the, there'll be churches that have not yet uh, been taught about the holy spirit and if they're left completely on their own well how will they learn um, that, that Barnabas can go to this church and commend them. It's good for the church back home away from uh, Antioch because they get to hear, look, they, you are not alone. Look, this is being done. Look, the Lord is, is uh, exercising his will and bringing about the salvation of, of many. And if you are if you are in Antioch, you, you get to hear, look, I'm a part of something bigger. And, and quite frankly, those things that I'm, I'm staking my soul on, they're kind of important. They're not off base. Um, it, it's it's important to have this sort of oversight inside of the church. Um, not that that people would be in charge of other people, but that the Lord's word would would rule us all. And then, so Barnabas, being uh, one who has been given charge over this, he goes to to exercise this this commendation not on his own authority, but simply by being rightly trained in the faith and and seeing that what's being done is is good and God pleasing. And I think the way that Luke describes him in verse twenty four. Is, I mean, helps us to understand what you're saying there. When when Luke calls him a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, would would mean, or we should understand that to mean, not that Barnabas was somehow better than anybody else for the job, but that in fact he was going there to take a look at what was happening and compare it with the Lord's word, and that was the standard by which he was working here and, and commending, not by his own self chosen authority or his own opinions, but he was using the Lord's word that he had been given. Right. Uh, and it is this this idea of being sent that, that actually really starts to matter. Um, that, that Barnabas was was sent there by the church at, at large. Um, they, they sent him, which means he did not come on his own authority. He did not decide, I am the, the smartest one here, so I'm going to go check up on it. And if I don't like it, I'm going to definitely tell people. Um, it, it means that the, the church spoke through its means and the Holy Spirit blesses this. Um, it, it's really actually uh, in a big way something that, that we need to get our 
heads around during this time period because you start to see the church acting in an immediate way, a, a way that, that, that the calls would be issued by the means of the church. And so um, you're, you're going to sort of have a prophet that we're going to have to talk about here in a couple minutes. Um, and, and that's a, a different way. That is an immediate way, uh, a, a way apart from the normal means of the church that somebody was just sort of, here's a prophet who says there's a famine coming and we're going to have to deal with that. But this is actually almost a little bit easier because now you don't have to just be the guy that, that God boomed a voice from from the sky. Now you got to go convince everybody that God actually spoke and that what he's saying is true here. The church works and, and the Holy Spirit blesses that. Uh, so, so when the church sent Barnabas um, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, that, that means that this is a place where God has set his hand and, and promises to work. It's it's wonderfully, wonderfully boring. Um, and, and I say that because you, you can actually see the same thing uh, in, in your church. You can go uh, and, and look at the guy in your pulpit wearing the stole and say, I know he's yoked to the Holy Spirit. I, I know that this is a place where God wants to speak to me from this pulpit because uh, my, my pastor is, is sent. He, he is a full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And I know this because, well, he preaches to me the same Christ of the scriptures, the same doctrine I learned in my catechism. And he stands there uh, wearing the, the, the mark of one who is sent, namely the stole. So we've got a wonderfully, wonderfully boring Barnabas going to a wonderfully, wonderfully boring church in Antioch. It's the best. Uh, and we uh, that just means that, that God can actually work inside of your congregation too. Um, I, I think sort of the idea uh, uh, that we, we need a, a church where there is enthusiasm and and uh, pizzazz and miracles and, and and signs of the spirit and and wild rapid growth for there to be saving faith true enduring faith it, it gets to be um too much of a high to maintain it, it, it's not the kind of faith that can exist in the hospital room where there are people suffering uh, the last days of this life before the victory that they get to finally get to see face to face um the the wonderfully wonderfully boring faith is is actually the better faith because well sometimes life is all too exciting on its own and and faith is actually supposed to be a comfort for those things uh and not simply a substitute a, a better and different high uh when when barnabas sent by the holy spirit or uh, sent by the church uh, in the holy spirit excuse me, uh, sees what is being done and, and commends them, exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord. It's, it's not just that they pass the test. It's that, look, they have something that's going to hold when sin, death, and the power of the devil attack them, and they will. So now this group in Antioch, now they wear the armor of God. Now this is to be commended because when life gets all too exciting on its own, they actually have a really boring place to turn in. They have a place with, I don't know, calm water, a, a, a place where there is a grass, a, a place where the Lord, our shepherd, would guide us with rod and staff. Um, it's, it's basically all the stuff that we, we talk about in that 23rd Psalm uh, made real, where you get a cup that runs over placed on the table surrounded by the enemies but it's full of the blood of christ and here uh here we actually have that it, it, it's funny only when we're bored do we actually ever wish for excitement but when there's there's a whole lot going on we all rush back to that 23rd psalm and talk about boring um maybe there's a good reason <laughs> Well, and what I love about this wonderfully boring Barnabas and church is that 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 boredom again, and we I think we're you can tell the, the way we're using that word that that boredom doesn't lead to complacency, but there's there's great joy here. You know, Barnabas is glad, and and so it would be. I mean, God grant the same for us that in his regular boring gifts that that same joy would be evident so that as you said we don't play doctrine and witness against each other but we we joyfully hold on to the truth that god gives us in his word such that we joyfully speak it to those who need to hear it 
Right. And and this is what the church has always been charged to do. Um, it, it's going to start to carry this uh, this forward. Um, that, well, Acts uh, 25 and, uh, 11, 25 and 26, Barnabas then goes to Tarsus to look for Saul, who is kind of just laying low for like the last, I don't know, like seven years. Um, like, here we go. Okay, I guess it's Gentile time. Um, I mean, this is the guy. Uh, so so when, he, right. when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they did boring stuff. Like they, they, not for a whole year, they uh, they ate of the same uh, two fish or, or for a whole year, they did many great signs and wonders and fire danced on their head. But for a whole year, they met with the church, they taught, they, they shared the gospel. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We get to start to see um, the followers of the Messiah, the, the little Christs, um, interacting with a, a society around them. And they're marked simply by the hope that is in them, not by the power that is uh, sort of being manifest in, in flash. It, it, it's wonderful. What is the significance of the name attached to the to the followers of Christ, Christians? What's the significance of that name that we hear for the first time? So um, it, it's 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 likely given from the outside. So uh, again, this is probably from the Greeks that that they're sort of identifying them by the person that they follow. Um, name the the followers of the Messiah. Um, little Christ is kind of a cheeky way to say it. Um, it, it, it probably wasn't given as an insult, uh, but it was given to mark them as something that is very very different from what would otherwise uh, be known. Um, um, and, and so that this this name Christian is being uh, sort of uh, projected onto these people, it's clear at least that um, even if they are Greeks and not Hellenists, uh, that they at least know enough to know that there are such a thing as Jews, that, that this group of people is distinct from what's going on here. Um, and it's, it's actually, again, a, a pretty cool thing to, to see that th this hope that is in them has this people so set apart that they need a name for it. Um, it it's, it's actually a, a, a a pretty cool thing because if you think about it, the Christian isn't glowing in the dark. The Christian isn't um, sort of better than anybody else uh, in, in that, that they can do great uh, miracles or, or, or conquer the, the works of the law on their own. Uh, but there is something inside of their practice, their, their way of speak, their, their, their way of looking at the world, their, the hope, the, the hope that, that, that is in them that, that sets them apart so much that even the world can see it. And even if they don't entirely understand what it is or isn't yet, they know there's something there. And I suppose it's a it's a rather boring name than than what we could have been called, you know. I mean, and even even like previously, they were called the followers of the way. We've heard that in the Book of Acts. That's that sounds a little more exciting than Christians, and yet to bear the name Christ, what what joy! Right, and like even the followers of the way, I we we sort of I don't know. I I, I was drawn to that too, and I think it's just mystic enough and just sort of mysterious enough <laughs> that I could get down with that. But really, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and so this is a, another way of simply talking about. Jesus. But this is ultimately what Christianity always is, that uh, don't look at me, look at Christ. Don't look at my works, look at his. If there's hope, it's not going to be from my heart, from my thoughts, from my hands. It's going to be from my Savior who was crucified and, and risen for me. Um, if somebody's going to, to sort of look at me and, and get there, there's that old saying, you know, you might be the only Bible that someone ever reads. And it's, it's always sort of given to say that you should be moral. Um, and, and I think that's missing the point. You, you might be the only Bible that somebody reads, meaning that their first interaction with, with true religion might be 
you and, and how you present yourself. But if this is the case, I, I would really hope then that the thing they would come away with would be the gospel. Um, not, not to abandon the law by any means, but well, the Jews, the Pharisees even, they, they very much demonstrated the rules. But never, never the hope um, that that we are marked as as Christians means that hopefully when somebody looks at you, they they would see Christ. And if they're looking to see Christ, that that means then that they have to see the cross, they have to see the forgiveness, they have to see the mercy. Yeah, yeah. To see the to see God's power through His mercy. Yeah, God, God grant it. God grant it. Amen. Now in verse twenty seven. We hear about prophets. Yeah, that's weird. And I thought the I thought the prophets were supposed to be in the Old Testament. Pastor Goodman, what's going on here? So I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I I don't entirely know because the scriptures don't entirely tell us. I, I know that John the Baptist in the New Testament is called the the greatest of the prophets, and so there's at least a place for them in the New Testament. Although this was primarily, you're right, done in the Old Testament. And so I'm gonna when I don't understand something weird in the Bible, I'm gonna look for something simple in the Bible, and that's gonna help me understand how to read the Bible. So I could go to First Thessalonians five twenty and twenty one that says, "Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good." So if there are prophecies, there are prophets, namely the ones who give the prophecies. Um, so it, it doesn't mean it, there's no such thing as prophets anymore, but it means test everything to despise. Um, ultimately, the, the the root there is uh, to 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 not be able to put your eyes on something to to um, to not look at prophecies, but rather test everything and then hold fast to what is good. And so, if somebody comes then with a new word of the Lord, a prophecy of the Lord, it, it's actually really simple. Does it match up with everything else we know about him, or is it different? Um, and and this is actually the same approach that we have to the canon as Lutherans. We don't ascribe to a closed canon, meaning there could hypothetically be another Corinthians out there somewhere. Um, and, and in fact, I think there there just might be. I, I believe that there's some stuff in Second Corinthians that Paul talks about where he says, "Remember the stuff I told you last time that I don't find in First Corinthians." So there might be another letter out there. And if there is, thanks be to God. And if there's not, I know that I have all that I need for my salvation. So I'm not going to worry about it at all. But rather, if I come across something that claims to be the word of the Lord, it's very simple. Test it. And so then for us, uh, it, it, it's a simple uh, test, namely, um, well, there, there's, uh, again, the media way. Um, is this something that my church speaks with one accord on? Um, and so I, I can go to my small catechism, and I don't believe that it's a prophecy, but I believe that it is something that we we hold to say that thus saith the Lord, um, or, or I guess maybe this is most certainly true, uh, depending on, on how well you remember it. But well, we, we test that. So look at your catechism. Does this go against the sacred scriptures? If it does, get rid of it. And if it doesn't, okay, um, hold fast to what is good. And, and again, we could go to Corinthians to uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 10 to, to sort of recognize that the place of it. Um, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. That by definition, prophecy is, is going to be sort of just a glimpse at something larger. Um, and so in the Old Testament, you, you saw the prophets then, and you could very clearly see this, they, they, they prophesied in part. Um, they, they pointed to, to the Christ who was to come. But now that the perfect has come, uh, we don't read them as, as if we're still looking for the, this moment to be fulfilled in the future. We rather say, look, look, it, it, the, 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 the unfulfilled has, has uh, been fulfilled. And so the, the partial has passed away. And, and so even in the New Testament, where you sort of have a prophet showing up, I get to say, Whatever it is, it will be temporal and less than the perfect. Um, and, and so I'm not super, super worried about it. 
it, I think it's 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 the best thing. Um, I, I I know that uh, Agabus, who uh, we're going to have named for us in uh, uh, verse twenty eight, uh, is is said to be uh, one of the seventy um, historically believed to be one of the ones sent out uh, throughout the Gospels. Um, but I, I know that I don't actually need his exact words, um, but rather he, he foretold in the spirit that there would be a great famine over all of the world that would take place in the days of Claudius. Um, and I don't know exactly how it was tested. I, I don't know how exactly they, they knew it, but I, I know that of old, prophets performed signs, that that was sort of the mark of the, the prophet, that, that the immediate call, the call sort of apart from the means of the church, that the church sends you, uh, means that if you are sent by the Lord, you, you both, one, speak in accordance with his word and will, um, and, and two, there, there are signs that tend to accompany this. They don't always focus on the signs because the signs aren't actually important. It's the word that's important. Um, but it's the sinner in us that always wants to figure out what flashy stuff happened and how come I don't get to see it. Um, that's, that's actually the part that we really need to wrestle with. That there are parts of the, the Lord's will and work that you don't need to know about. Um, and it's not because he doesn't love you and it's not because he doesn't trust you or not because he doesn't care about you, but because, well, when he calls you children of God, he means it. it it's not necessarily the compliment that you think it is. You are the little toddlers of God. There are parts of my children's lives that they, they, they just don't need to know. I, I'm going to spare them the details of taxes for right now. Um, and just trust me that I tell you I, ha I have to pay them and, and it's going to be okay because I'll take care of it for you. Um, here, uh, Agabus then it, it shows up as a prophet. And the best thing I can say is I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I know what it's not. I, I know he's not speaking words that are, are apart from the scriptures or against the scriptures. Um, I, I know that it's it's not sort of a secret word of God that we lost out on because we don't get to know what it is. And, and I know that if I never ever meet one in my life, I still have the scriptures. And so I'm I'm doing just fine. I have the things that the prophets are, are pointing to. Hmm. Well, and, and in this case, we do know that Agabus came and, and spoke about a great famine uh -huh. that was going to come. And as you said, although it's not revealed how that happens, we know they tested it. it it's true. And so they acted on it. So take us into the, the response that's that happens there in Antioch because of this worldwide famine that's coming. We start to see God uh, through mercy and not power. Uh, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Um, the, the people help each other as if uh, they, look, they can look at the world and say, this is a person that I might not know, but has been redeemed by Christ the crucified. Um, and so each according to his ability then starts to support. Um, and, and this is a, a, a distinction um, between sort of the normal uh, giving that happens in church and that this is work of of mercy. Um, it's, it's actually kind of wonderful to see the body of Christ caring for itself according to its ability because here, again, it, it's not salvific. It, it's not. Each one according to his ability cares for the rest of the church, but salvation's already been won. Righteousness is already made uh, real. It, it, it's, it's made theirs through faith. And so they don't need to add to it, but simply the, the body of Christ gets to, to be knit together under him who is the head. And so there might be a hand of uh, the body that, that sees something that needs grabbed and they can grab it. So they grab it and there might be some feet that need to walk. And so they, they walk and there might need to be a spleen that does whatever a spleen does. I'm a pastor. I don't know. Um, and then they, they, they do those things. Uh, but 
but here the church starts to to work to send relief it, it's still something that we we do today and and we we recognize even today there is sort of a distinction between uh the tithing and the, the work of mercy done around the church that that the tithing that that is done is to support the local congregation um it, it, it's done uh as we'll, we'll come to see later uh, throughout the new testament that uh the the preacher would be cared for that uh that the building would be uh, maintained that there would be a place to receive god's gifts and and a mouth that has been fed so that he can speak um but there is also a, a church at large and giving to it does not add to the souls that are being saved christ will take care of that he is the good shepherd not you 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 can't save more people by giving more money but you get to be a part of making people's lives more full of mercy. You, you get to be a part of helping. You get to maybe even be a part of, of God doing this salvific work. And, and again, it's, it's sort of that small distinction in who is running the verbs, who is doing the work, but it's very, very important uh, that as the, the church then starts to, to take up alms to, to, to uh, everyone and according to his ability, send relief according to the brothers living in Judea, will ask um, if, if, if they did not do this thing, would Christ be placed back into the tomb? If Christ, uh, or if they did not do this thing, would the Holy Spirit not work through preaching of the word would the holy spirit not want uh this this word proclaimed and then uh would the church not send people well no it just there might be famine and being hungry is no good so maybe we can help um and, and then what a joy to know that uh those who, who who suffer under this world might suffer a little bit less that that there might actually be work of mercy done in the same way that christ uh, who would stumble across lepers and uh he, he he would be moved by mercy or, or or by compassion his guts would move around in him so much that he cared about what was going on and even though he didn't take flesh just to, to sort of cure one leper he took flesh to save that guy and the two then become connected that that the idea of care for your body and care for your soul can't be divorced from one another it, it's again a, a testament to what the new testament church looks like to what these these christians look like they're people who then do not discount the soul because they they mark the sins forgiven by christ and they also do not re, uh, reject the body because this christ was made incarnate he was made man and he is risen from the dead and they know that they too will rise and so they they work then uh not only to support the preaching of the gospel but but also the the genuine works of mercy um and it, it's it's a joy and a gift to start to see all of these things uh not sort of wrestling for prominence but simply being done according to his ability, each according to his ability, meaning, look, if there's a problem and you can help, thanks be to God. Yeah, God be praised for the way that he works in his church, as we see in the church in Antioch here at the end of Acts chapter 11. Pastor Harrison Goodman is the content executive for the Lutheran Youth Organization Higher Things, helping us today with Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. Pastor Goodman, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks so much for having me. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Acts chap chapter 11, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.